I'd like to welcome you to our service tonight. Hope that you had a good afternoon. And uh, let's go ahead and bow together for a word of prayer. And then we will get started with our service tonight. Father, we're so grateful for this local church and the blessing that we have to gather together. And thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy, the time we spend in your word, the opportunity to share testimonies and to sing praise to you. And I pray that tonight um, our hearts will be knit together that as we look into your word, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to be motivated to be students of the Old Testament and the various passages that we'll be looking at throughout the rest of the year. And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts through that. And we ask for your blessing on this time in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Good evening, Anchor Baptist Church. Good to see you out. Had a pretty nice day today. That wasn't bad at all. So... We're going to go ahead and start off tonight's service on page 311. Page 311, please stand with me or follow along on the screen. More about Jesus, what I know. More of his grace to others show. six, eight time on that song would have been. I would have been helicoptering up here. Woo! That's a, that's, that's a fast six, eight. But okay, we're going to go to page 292 now, though. Out of that six, eight time. Four, four time. We can count this off. The Bible stands. All four verses.
please be seated. We're going to turn back to page 413. And my goodness, y'all are singing out tonight. What a blessing it is to stand up here and hear you. Faith is the victory, page 413.
But we have a story to tell to the nations. First verse, page 540. Twenty-seven kind of snuck up on the kids this time. I, I heard a little bit, but I think they it caught them by surprise. They forgot that that one had some loud parts in it too. Page 482. Okay, here we go. and we'll sing the first, the second, and the last. Be thou my 
Okay, well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans. And you say, well, I thought on Wednesday or on Sunday nights, I thought we were going through Old Testament passages of Scripture. And in fact, you'd be right about that. We are going through Old Testament passages of Scripture. But tonight, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to pause for, uh, for one of our services. And I'd like us to focus on, in on why it is so important to study the Old Testament. And this is actually technically going to be the beginning of a new series. And on Sunday nights, we've been working our way through Old Testament passages. And I guess if we were going to just keep going with this series, we'd end up with like 200 messages or something like that. But this year, um, on Sunday nights, we are focusing in on the stories of David and Saul. And in order for us to get into the lives of David and Saul, we actually have to start with the story of Samuel, which is ultimately starting with the story of Hannah. And so um, that's really what we're going to be doing this year on Sunday nights. There'll be a couple of exceptions here and there. But for the most part, when we are preaching on Sunday nights, we're going to be focusing in on lessons learned from the life of David and Saul and Jonathan and Samuel. And so I want us to think about how what we just looked at the last several Sunday nights and the story of Ruth, how that really sets the stage for what we're talking about over the next many, many weeks throughout the year on the lives of David and these men. We've been looking about at the story of redemption from Genesis to the cross and the empty tomb. And I think every time that we open up the Old Testament, we need to see that the Old Testament points us to the cross. It, it tells us why we need the cross. It tells us of God's promises about the cross. It tells us about God's grace and God's kindness. There are lots and lots of examples that are pictures of the gospel. I think about the story of the Passover lamb. And we dealt with that uh, quite a long time ago. And in that story, what do we see? We see a picture of what Jesus was going to do. The lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. But as we work our way through these passages of scripture, I think we need to ask a couple of questions. Why is it so important for us to study Old Testament history, biblical history? Why not just study the epistles? I will tell you, it is a lot easier for me as a pastor to preach through epistles. It's so much easier because you're dealing with maybe two verses, three verses. If I'm gonna tell you the story of a passage on David's life, or we're looking at Saul's life, you may be looking at an entire chapter or two chapters, and there's all kinds of background information. And there are lots of different things that maybe culturally we don't understand them at all. Think about last week, the story of Boaz and Ruth. And he goes and he gets this guy's shoe. And you're like, why is he getting the guy's shoe? Well, in order for you to appreciate what's going on there, You've got to go to the Old Testament law. You've got to see what the custom was. And a lot of times when we're looking at these passages, uh, sometimes you know, we, we love David, but there's some parts of David's life that we don't really want to talk about. They're tragic. They're sad. They're sin. Stories of David's failures. And, and we almost don't even want to go to those passages of Scripture, yet they're there for a reason. They're a part of that storyline. It's a lot easier to preach through the epistles than the Old Testament. Some might say, well, well, why don't we just go through the law? I mean, just let's know what is right and wrong. And we only focus in on those areas. But the truth is that God gave us more than the law. Why not just the teachings of Christ? 
Anybody have a red letter Bible? Is that still a popular thing anymore? Okay, we got a couple of red letter Bibles. I remember when I was a kid, I got one of those New Testaments, pocket New Testaments, and it had the words of Jesus in red. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, these words are more important because these are Jesus's words. All the other words, well, I mean, they're important. They're in the Bible, but they're not Jesus's words. But the truth is all of scripture is profitable. Not just studying the epistles and not just studying the law and not just the teachings of Christ, not just systematic theology. And I love studying systematic theology. But God has given us the vast majority of his word in the story of scripture. In fact, even when we look at the the Psalms, many times you do not appreciate the content of a Psalm unless you understand the backstory of that Psalm. You know about the people who were singing the psalm. You know about the time that they were living through. Even when we're reading the epistles, the epistles are written in a story. I mean, 1 Corinthians is written in a story, okay? And as you understand the background of what's going on, all of a sudden, some of those passages, they un- they, we understand them better. Why do we study the Old Testament? Here's the answer in Romans 15.1. Let's look at, together at our Bibles at what it says. Paul writes, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now the Apostle Paul could have very easily, when he was writing this letter, simply said, let me give you a list of 15 things that you've got to change. I mean, he could have easily done that. Or he could have said, let me give you a summary of all the various doctrines that are important for you to understand. And then he just gives us the list. That is kind of how I think. In fact, you probably can see that in the way that I preach. I'm very methodical. There's, there's a summary and there's a proposition and an introduction. And we just work our way through there. And we have all these bullet lists. That's how I think. That's my personality. Some of you, maybe that's how you think. And you love that. And some of you, that's not how you think. You're like, I'd kind of appreciate a different approach. But the reality is that's not how Paul did this. He didn't say, here's your list. Here's the doctrines that you need. Here's your commandments. And then that's the end of it. No, the apostle Paul has this story that he interweaves through this whole thing. And he starts with doctrinal teaching. And then he goes to some practical things. And he says, hold on a second. You need to remember an example. And that example is the example of Christ. What I'm telling you, I don't want to just tell you, hey, go do this. I want you to think about Christ. Think about the story of what he did. Think about how he did it and why he did it, what he experienced. And let that example from his life, let it shape how you obey what I'm telling you to do. That's what Paul's doing. He wants the church at Rome to be patient, to be self-sacrificing. So he reminds them of important biblical history, specifically the example of Christ, so that they would respond in the way that Christ would. That's what they were doing. 
So let's get into this with a couple of questions. That's all I'm going to do is I'm going to ask some basic questions, answer them. And I hope that what this will do is help prepare us for what we will be looking at throughout the rest of the year. And I hope it'll also shape how you study your Bible this year. So question one, why is history important? Okay, what's the question? Oh, very good. Very, you see, you know it's going to ask that question and you, you're right on top of it. Oh, maybe it's right behind me. So why is history important? Now, if we have any history teachers in here or any people that love history say, how could you even bother to ask such a question? Exactly. There we go. History is fascinating. And what I love about history is history is not what could have happened. It's not what we wanted to happen. It's what actually did happen. History tells you about real life, what actually happened. One of the reasons that studying history is so important is because history is all about God. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, we were taught history is God's story. His story. That's how, that's how, not, it is God's story, but it is his story. One of the things that you see is how many times in history there is intervention and that intervention is something that preserves so many things. And, and if somebody's not a Christian, they say, it's so fortunate that the fortunes of the people fell out in such a way. It's just such a lucky thing. And we as Christians go, not luck. It's not good fortune. It's providence. It's the hand of God guiding the story to preserve people. Think about Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. From that verse to the end of the Bible, the story is about God. It's about how he works in people's lives. It's about the promises that he makes. It's about his responses to people in their troubles. Colossians 1, it says, all things were created by him and for him. I really love this text in Acts 17. When Paul is preaching at Mars Hill, he says... God who made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And this next statement is fascinating. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. Do you know what that means? That means that God is active in history. God is the one who uplifts people and brings down people and preserves people. He's involved in working. Not to say that in any way this eliminates the choices that they make or the weight of those choices, but God is actively at work. His hands are involved, even when we can't see them. And he says, they should seek after the Lord. For in him we live and move, have our being. We are also his offspring. Paul said that on Mars Hill. He said that to people who didn't have a biblical worldview. He said that to people who didn't have a Jewish worldview. He said that to people who were complete pagans. I mean, that was their worldview. He says, let me tell you about the God who created the world. And the God who upholds your life. And the God who is active in history. Let me tell you about him. So history is about God. It teaches us about him. When we read the Bible, one of the first questions we should ask ourselves is what is the text in front of me telling me about God's character? 
Not first, what does it tell me about me? Not that we won't get there, we will. But what does it tell me about God? Secondly, history teaches us about his character and how he works in people's lives. There are so many examples that we could go to here, but I'll just mention this one. In Genesis 50 verse 20, it says this, As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now we know the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph is a fascinating story because here is this young man. He comes from, you want to talk about dysfunctional family. I mean, it's a really, really, really dysfunctional family. All kinds of inner fighting, all kinds of hatred and animosity and a lot of power plays and all this is going on in Joseph's life. And a lot of us could have, we could have looked at Joseph and said, you know, Joseph has every right to be a bitter person. He has every right to be the kind of person who would reject God and he'd hate his family and all those things. But that's not what happened with Joseph. Joseph, through all the challenging circumstances of his life, he learned something about God. God was preserving his life. God was allowing him to go through the things that were going. God didn't force those young men to do the things that they did. He chose to permit it. He chose to allow it. But in the permitting of those things, he still limited what they were able to accomplish. They didn't kill Joseph. Joseph didn't rot in prison and die. Joseph's life was preserved. And here he is in Genesis 50, having the opportunity to take out vengeance on his brothers. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. He says, because you thought evil, but God meant it for good. You know what that tells me? Joseph understood the character of God and he understood how God works in people's lives. Now, if we're in that same situation and we lash out at the person, we take vengeance, we have the opportunity to crush them because we have power, we are not thinking with an understanding of who God is and how he works. But Joseph stands as this great example. Even the story of the nation of Israel in Revelation 11. Revelation 9, 10, and 11 talk about this glaring question. Was, is God done with the nation of Israel? And he says, no, he's not. He's going to restore the people. And he talks all about this. And in that passage of scripture, he basically says, you and I cannot fully comprehend the way God works here. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways pass finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor. Now what is Paul saying? He's saying, I know what God is going to do with the nation of Israel because of what he promised. Because of his character and because he is speaking through me as I write these words. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? He says, you and I can't fully grasp God's ways. But we can understand who he is. And we can understand in a basic and general way how he works. Third thing I want to mention here. History teaches us about human nature and how who we are affects what we do. Your character determines what you do. In fact, this is something that we need to instill in our children when they're very, very small. Those character flaws that frustrate us today are the character flaws that will cause broken marriages down the road. That will cause them to not be able to hold down jobs. That will cause them to be a terrible neighbor. That will cause them to have a lot of tumultuous trouble as they become adults. And so rather than just being frustrated with them and, and pushing it off and not 
addressing those issues, we've got to learn to work with our kids to help develop character in their lives. Obviously, number one, we point them to Christ. And once they've trusted Christ, we are discipling them. We're shaping their lives through the teaching of God's word. And we are training them so that they develop good, solid character and patterns and habits. But one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that the kind of character a person has and the kind of worldview that shapes their life, it affects what they do. And we see great examples for good and for bad in the Bible. I would also say that we see examples of people who grew. And so who they were early in their life versus who they were towards the end of their life, it changes. You know the story of Joseph or Jacob? When we talk about Jacob's life, Jacob, that name trickster, it was very appropriate for this guy. <laughs> he was a tricky person. He was a dishonest person. He was a manipulative person. And when Jacob is running for his life, and he's going to go to his uncle's family, okay? That's where he's ultimately going to meet Laban and Laban's daughters. And then he gets married and he's going to thrive in that environment, okay? When Jacob is running for his life, he comes to Bethel. And there he lays down and he sleeps at night. And we know the story of Jacob's ladder. You know that story. But here's what's fascinating about that story. When Jacob wakes up in the night, he says, I know God is in this place. And this is what he says. If I come back to this place alive, then I will make you my God. Did you catch that? If I come back to this place, I will make you my God. And I will tithe a tenth of all my possessions. Now, a lot of us, when we read through the Old Testament, we don't notice those details, but they're there. You know the story where Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord? You know why he was doing that? Because he thought he was going to die the next day. And he wanted a guarantee that in fact he was going to survive. And we know that he believed that there's a really good chance that he was going to die because he sends out his whole family. Sadly, uh, he prioritizes certain family members above others, okay? And he prioritizes himself above everybody else because he's the last one to go. He's trying to preserve his life. But by the end of Jacob's life, guess what? He's not that man. He's a different man. He is a godly man. He's a wise man. He's a mature man. He's a very broken man. And we see those things laid out in the Bible. And in Psalm 78, the, the psalmist says that we are to not hide from our children the praises of the Lord and the testimonies in Jacob. And he says later on, so that they might set their hope in God and not be as their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So why do we need to study the Old Testament? Well, it tells us about God. It tells us about his character and his ways. And it tells us about how people's character shapes the decisions that they make. The information we learn from history also enables us to be wise. In Psalm 19 verse 7, it says that the soul uh, the, the, he says, the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Now, what does it mean to be a simple person? Well, simple is what we all are when we're kids, okay? It's what we all are when we're immature. Simple simply means I don't have experience. I don't understand consequence. 
I don't understand when I make this decision, this is where this leads. I haven't gotten to a point where I understand those concepts. And because I don't understand those concepts, I make a lot of foolish decisions. A lot of immature decisions. Think junior high boy, all right? Okay, think 25-year-old boy now. <laughs> think a lot of people in our society. They have not learned wisdom. What does the Bible say makes wise the simple? The testimonies of the Lord. You know what the testimonies of the Lord are? It's the Old Testament. It's all those stories, Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Daniel. And you just go through the list of these examples. Those testimonies that are sure give wisdom to the simple. We learn foundational truth that shapes our worldview. We learn biblical principles that help us to know how to practically apply those truths. We learn to consider the whole picture of what God is doing in the world. We see that decisions actually really matter. The patterns we establish really matter. The kinds of ways that God works in our life despite our sinfulness. He is very good to us. He's very kind to us. He's very gracious to us. God ultimately is going to accomplish his purposes. Even when people resist him and they rebel against him. It doesn't stop God from accomplishing his big purposes. And so we learn those truths. So question number one, why do we study the Old Testament? Those are the reasons. Question number two, how does learning from history challenge us? Well, let me give you some thoughts that I jotted down. First, it gives us real life illustrations of God's mighty working. There is a psalm, there's a statement, I think it's Psalm 77. I love this statement. It says, God's way is in the sea. And his ways are not fully known. Something to that effect. I know I probably messed it up. Go look it up. I think it's Psalm 77. His ways are in the sea. And then later on in the psalm, he says that he led his children like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, when he talks about his way being in the sea, what's he, what's he alluding to? Well, he's alluding to the Red Sea. Here is this group of people. They're backed up against the sea. They can see the armor of the Pharaoh's armies and they're coming this way. And they can see this cloud of dust and they're terrified. And in the back of their minds, they're like, we're going to die. And they start talking amongst themselves and they're, they're furious. They're angry. And what does God do? He says, well, you didn't think about one other possibility. <laughs> I could just make a way in the sea. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. He caused the sea to part and they walked through on dry ground. And not only did they walk through on dry ground, but when they got to the other side and Pharaoh's armies come running down into the sea, they watch as God brings the sea right back. And the next day, they can see all the evidence of the armies that have been decimated, floating in the sea, wiping, washing up on the beach. And they say, this is the way that God works. Well, that's a real life illustration of God's mighty workings. He's done that in the past. And you do not know how he will work in your life. It shapes our ability to see with our eyes what the Bible states in other places. There is a psalm that talks about the nation of Israel. And the way that he, he refers to it is he says, Mark ye well the bulwarks. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. And he says, as we, have, as we have heard, so have we seen. It's a really interesting song. And basically what he says is, we've learned all these truths about how God 
loves his people, he protects his people, he preserves his people. And we saw all these armies that had laid siege on this city. And now they're gone. And the city's still standing. What we heard, we've seen. That's what the Old Testament does. It helps us to see with our eyes what the Bible states plainly in other places. Thirdly, it shows us living examples of ourselves. You know, it's hard, it's hard sometimes to see our own weaknesses. I see some, it's really hard to see our weaknesses. It's hard for somebody to come to us and say, hey, I noticed this and it, I think it's a problem. It's hard for us to accept that. And so sometimes as we're reading the Bible and we've been brought to a point where our hearts have been made tender because of whatever God is doing in our life. We read the story of a certain person and as we're reading that story, you know who we see in those verses? We see ourselves. We see ourselves. We see our failures. We see our troubles. And we see how gracious God is. You know what it does? It picks us up. And it says, yes, I have failed, and yes, I have sinned, and yes, I need to turn to God and confess my sin, and you know what? I need to rest in God's kindness because he did it in Jacob's life. He did it in Moses' life. He did it in Peter's life. He's the same God today that he was then. You know what it also does? It points us to the gospel. Our greatest comfort in life is the gospel. It's got to be at the center of everything. Question three. What is the main purpose of studying history? There are three words, or four words I want you to learn, or to remember. <laughs> the first one is the word learning. What is it? Learning. Woo! Learning! <laughs> what is it again? Learning. learning! All right, good. Learning. Perspective. Warning. Direction. Instruction. Inspiration. When I say inspiration, I mean, I read that and I say, I could do that. I want to stand up. I want to do what's right. We're going to read about David and Goliath at some point. And I hope some young people say, you know what? I know I'm not David and I know I'm not standing in front of Goliath and I'm not, not going to go and pick up stones. But here is this teenage boy that when the king was like shaking in his boots and says, I'm not going to go out there and deal with that guy. David says, I'll go do it. Well, Maybe some young men will say, you know what? There's some people that are afraid to do things they should be doing today, but I'm going to be different. I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to be challenged. Like Caleb, here's this man in his 80s. He says, I'll go take that mountain. Oh, Caleb, it's not time for you to do that. You're, you've gone past that season of life. He says, no, no, I'm taking the mountain. And if somebody wants to marry my daughter, they're going to have to go with me. That's what he says. What is that going to do? Well, it inspires us, challenges us, learning. Next word is patience. What is it? Patience. Life involves processes that take time. You remember what it was like to be a first grader who wanted to be 14? <laughs> or a 14-year-old that wanted to be 18? All right, you know what I'm talking about. It seems like in life we're always looking ahead and then there comes a point where we're like looking back. You know what patience is? It's, it's being able to endure under the challenges of life. And so the Bible teaches us patience. He says that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the first word was what? Learning. Learning. Second one was what? Patience. Third is comfort. There we go. Good. Life is full of challenges. And, and it's sad, but it's true. Life is full of times where we're going to fail. And life is full of times where we're going to look at 
the path that we've walked, and we're going to have disappointments, and we're going to have times where we wish we hadn't done that. Now, I hope, especially for our younger people, that we're able to prepare you so you have less of that than we did, okay? That is the hope. That is the desire. If you're a first-generation Christian, you got saved when you were in your 20s or 30s, there's a lot of life you lived before you knew Christ. And that really affects the choices you made. But if you're a second-generation Christian, you got a mom and dad who've been on both sides of this, and they say, we don't want you to do what we did when we were at that stage in life. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, you know what it does? It comforts us. We see the failure and we say, but God didn't forsake. God continued to work. We see real life examples of this. Comfort. The last word is the word hope. What is it? All right. So what were the four words? Learning. Comfort. Hope. All right. They're all back there. That's good. All right. Hope. The gospel is the center of everything that we enjoy in life. And so whenever I get discouraged and whenever I think this is not going to work out the way it needs, I need to keep in mind that the gospel is my sure foundation. 1 Corinthians 10, he says, These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer you be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God wants you to walk in holiness. He wants to warn you. He wants you to persevere. And in order for you to do that, your life needs to be built on the solid foundation of the word of God. Final question I'm going to ask is, well, what are we going to learn this year? We're going to learn about Saul. Saul, when we first read about him, seems like a very humble person. He seems like a very timid person. He comes from a very humble family. Now, he looked very uh, foreboding. He was a big, strong, tall guy. But the fact is, by the end of the story, he's a tragic hero. Did a lot of great things, but he also failed in many ways. There's a lot to learn from his life. We're going to learn about David, a simple shepherd, the youngest of his father's sons. He becomes a mighty soldier, the psalmist, the king, a prophet. But you know, we're also going to read about his failures. We're going to learn a lot from that. We're going to learn about the consequences of sin. We're going to to learn about God's grace and his kindness. We're going to see the strengths and the weaknesses of these people, their opportunities that God gave them, the failures, how they responded to sin, God's justice, God's grace. We're going to learn about all these things. And you know what? By the end of this year, my hope, my prayer is that our hearts will be drawn and stirred to a more holy walk. That we will become a more patient people. That we'll be comforted by these truths that we read about. That we will be inspired to stand strong and to do what God wants us to do. My desire is that God be glorified in our lives through that. Let's bow for prayer and ask the Lord to help us to be more godly people as we study these Old Testament passages. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for all this history that we have the privilege to read about. That over the next many months we will hear sermons on these various passages. The lives of people that we are pretty familiar with if we've gone to Sunday school. 
A lot of parts of their lives that we've not thought about the way that we need to. And so I pray that as we read these passages, you would warm our hearts where that is the intent. You would, you would warn us where that is the intent. You'd bring comfort. You would embolden us and strengthen us. I pray that you would do a work in us. Give us wisdom as we see how life plays out based on the choices people make. And help us to always run to Christ and help us to rejoice in the gospel because that is the sure foundation we must walk through life standing upon. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, please, let's take out our hymn books for our closing hymn. The hymn we'll be singing is Trust and Obey, 418. 418, Trust and Obey. Verses 1, 4, and 5 together, please. Let's stand.
up. All right. Brother Casey Vendola, can you please close us in prayer? And I uh, hope that you guys can join us back on Wednesday as we continue working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. So, Casey. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the messages that we got to hear today. Um, and just please let us take them with us throughout our week, Lord, and keep us safe until we do come back to meet again. Father, help us to remember that um, our destination isn't just heaven, but it's the image of your son, Jesus. And thank you so much for him and the work that he did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.